Sometimes you get lucky and your game is an instant hit without investing in growth. For everyone else, there's IronSource. IronSource is a game tech company which builds technologies that helps you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on to ironsource.com, that's ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 65. In this week's episode, we will be covering the following news article. First, Tencent-owned Miniclip purchases Ilion Games for $100 million by PocketGamer.biz. Secondly, Xbox won't kick off the Series X generation with next-gen exclusives by Gamasutra. Third, a former Microsoft exec is PlayStation's new head of global business operations by Gamasutra. And then we have a collection, about three articles, all related to Steam by GamesIndustry.biz and Technode. And with us on the podcast today, we've got the full crew, all four of us, myself, Joe Kim, Mishka's back. <laughs> so we have Mishka Katkoff, Adam Telfer, and of course, Eric Kress. And in terms of updates, just rolling there, I wanted to start with some feedback we received from our last Twig podcast when we covered soft launch mm -hmm. games. So I can kind of explain what happened and why we did what we did, but essentially the feedback was that there seemed to be kind of a strong desire for our analysis of those games, if, if you can call it analysis, to have been a lot deeper in that what we did was a bit too cosmetic and hand wavy. And to that, I just want to say, well, yeah, that's, that's actually kind of accurate. And so let me just kind of explain what happened. So last week, as, as I woke up in the morning to record the podcast, I did see a note from Adam like, hey, we're kind of PC console heavy and just kind of audible the a mobile article at the at the last minute, about 25 minutes before recording the podcast. And so the intent of covering the article was really just to say, hey, here's some interesting soft launch games and there's some interesting stuff coming up rather than going into like a deep dive on each of those articles. So like the analysis that did happen just happened literally like minutes before the call. But I would say the one bit of good news is that based on that feedback, we do think it's a good idea to go deeper in terms of each of the soft launches. And we will be covering those in a little bit more depth in the future and probably just addressing one at a time. But guys, you want to give some additional color and feedback in terms of some of the feedback that we got? Yeah, I mean, we were under the gun. We were just doing it in the last 25 minutes. So, uh, so we should have spent a little bit more time looking at these titles but i will say just just in general though beta metrics in tier one english countries are very good indicators of performance and part of the reason that i've accurate you know we and or i have accurately predicted you know call of duty sims mobile wwe diner dash harry potter game of thrones casino and hopefully i'm likely going to be right about disney arena and of course avatar and the rest of the games that are coming out so you know i use it as a tool to like figure out what games are look are tracking. And I, in the last seven years, it's been a very solid tool for that. So hopefully the next time we get together and we talk about any type of betas, 
we'll just be a little bit more prepped for it and, and explain kind of the methodology and the, uh, and, and the reason that we think, you know, things like Farmville and Avatar are likely tracking well. So, mm. well, I, I truly enjoyed the, uh, the predictions since I wasn't on them and not getting, getting the shit out of them. Actually, I was. I'm here back because of I got baited by Cress <laughs> uh, in one of the predictions. I'm not going to go deeper into that, but I just disagree on that one particular prediction. But anyway, so in general, I, I do agree with, uh, with Mr. Cress, and, and um, he's been right on many predictions and probably will be right on, on many more, uh, especially I, I do agree on the avatar that, that you predicted will do really well in, in soft launch. And I just, or in, when it goes live and in, in um, yeah, when it goes live globally, because I've been playing that game and it's, it's truly different. It kind of reminds me of that Scopely's take on a Forex game. Uh, it's not in the sense more, more adventure like, but it has that new type of core gameplay, highly accessible, really fun. And I think the avatar IP does add value. I know you guys talked about it, that it wouldn't, but I think it add val- adds value as those movies will be rolling out pretty much every year. Yeah, of course, if the, if the movies do well. Will but, they? Uh, wow, I didn't even know it was like a series. There's three, three more movies coming out. So they're coming out on consecutive years pretty much. So I think if those movies start hitting well, uh, that game will ride, ride pretty big peaks and um, it will do quite well. At least the execution on that game is really good. Technically, there's some challenges. It keeps on crashing, the loading times, that kind of stuff. But I think they can figure those out as the core gameplay is, is just very enjoyable. Anyway, I do have to say that I'm, I disagree on one of the games. And, um, and that one, or yeah, actually two of them. And those are both Zynga games. So we're talking about puzzle combat. You know, Eric is, uh, is very bullish on Zynga. And you've been absolutely right on Zynga for years before that. Uh, saying that the company will start growing, but I do have to say when I when I kind of started looking at the numbers myself, uh, the puzzle combat doesn't look as good in soft launch when you compare the numbers compared to puzzles and uh, empires and puzzles. Uh, just with the um, revenue per download, when I looked at Canada and first ten months for uh, for puzzle combat, it's one point three dollars, uh, and at the same time range, it was five point five. For puzzle empire so that's like four times lower and the second one was was farmville 3 and i i mean i root i really root for that game to succeed and i hope it will uh, but i think comparing some of the early numbers with revenue per download during the first five months when you compare sim city very different but they were launched at a very different point in mobile games market so you know i think heyday is like eight years old and same thing for for uh, for some cities like five and and so forth, but um, yeah. But, yeah, but I, even um, what is it like Hustle Castle and stuff like that? Yeah, Hustle better. Castle is very very different type of game. I think the audience is way more male compared to farming game. So so I would I would say those are those are really different. And then I kind of looked at the Zynga even more, and I looked at how Merge Magic is doing compared to uh, Merge Dragons. And and you talked a little bit about cannibalization, and that that's actually seen in the graphs like like um merge dragons is going downwards and merge magic is has stabilized at about five million a month uh net revenue rate so yeah i mean it's going to be challenging first half of the year so it's kind of like everything on farmville 3 and, and if they can make any kind of acquisition i don't know why it turned to more of a zingo but maybe because i'm just baiting eric to to come card <laughs> <laughs> well but it's, it's, but like, it's still see with the goal for farmville 3 should not just be to you know like half the RPD growth from 
heyday in SimCity when it has a lot of the same systems, right? Yeah. It's yeah. trying to add significant amounts of monetization with their gotcha elements. But yeah. from the RPD growth, it does not look like it's done that. Which markets is it launched now? Because it was for a while a lot of Southeast Asia. Which countries is it live now? Well, it's definitely in Australia, right? Oh, it's in Australia. Okay. What, Farmville? Let me take a look. Take Wait, a look. how are you making assessments on the performance if you don't even know where it's betaing? <laughs> what do you mean? Just, just, I'm looking well, at no, Adam's because, it, because I'm just looking at uh, Sensor Tower and I'm just switching to the countries that actually it turns up on. Okay. Farmville's in Australia. Yeah. I will not put money on any of this, but I will definitely challenge you all to... <laughs> when when these games come out, we'll see how well they do, and we'll go back to this, and well, I let, I yeah, will be right. Let's go in depth on on each of these in turn, so that we we all have a chance to analyze and then make some make some assessments. Because I don't think I don't think first of all, to be clear, I, I definitely don't think that uh, that uh, Mishka's data is prop is right on on what he was looking at for particularly for puzzle combat and the beta for uh, empires, and I think if you look at the performance of uh, betas for simulation games i think you're going to see very similar type of performance out of the other simulation games um in beta in tier one so we will yeah why don't we do this at another time and we can go through maybe one or two of these betas at a time and yeah uh, that would be that'd you be do good. your best work yeah i'll, I'll try to be right and execute it, properly <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, I will confirm and agree that the cannibalization of so far that we're seeing out of merge uh, magic is a little bit concerning for me. So yeah. in that sense, I can't. I could be wrong on that. I'm, you know, we're still it's still in process, so we have to see what the next few months look like. But that is a little bit disturbing mm -hmm. to me as well. I was really surprised when that that game out of all the different reskins and different themes from Graham Games. It was the merge magic that launched because they had merge kingdoms, merge gems. There was, I think, there was like mer merge towns, so very different themes. And in the end, the one that launched was essentially the same as dragons, right? Yeah, because you're collecting dragons. Yeah, but that might Anyways. be another interesting episode. Is if we just focus specifically on cannibalization and portfolio strategy. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't know how many people are publishers out there, but. I do think a lot of people do it in very different and interesting ways. So. All right, let's, let's move on to the... Okay, 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 okay. Adam, did you have some comments or should we move on? No, let's move on. Okay. Uh, any other updates, guys? Nope. Uh, let me just give one other update, which is since uh, Mishka was talking about Avatar, uh, if any of you guys haven't checked out The Witcher on Netflix, I, I definitely want to recommend that that's a great series unfortunately netflix for whatever reason decided to pass on me for the role of girls but uh you know i think henry cavill is actually fine but uh, anyway all right moving on yeah oh yeah <laughs> what was that i i, I, don't, know. I don't i don't think they need any additional marketing for that that's sure <laughs> for for actually i do have a news so i'll be at a pocket gamer in london on 21st and 22nd so I'll be doing a talk, uh, some kind of a, a monetization panel. So I'll be there meeting with, with a lot of folks. And if you want to meet up, just, you know, connect with me on. Nice. Of course some. you will. Another, any, any excuse to go to a boondoggle. Fuck. <laughs> All right. Enough about me, more about Tencent owned Miniclip being purchased. Oh, Miniclip purchasing Ilion Games for hundred million. So um, if you don't know Ilion, it's, uh, it's an Israeli games company founded in 2013. 
Uh, its games are best known, it's, it's known as a casual developer with titles like Bubble Shooter, Bubble Shooter 2, Cookie Rush, Powerpuff Bubbles, very much bubble shootery type of a developer. And this is just a number of acquisition that Miniclip has done over the past 12 months. Uh, they've acquired a company called Masomo with, that had a game called Headball 2. Uh, and that was undisclosed in 2019. And itself, Miniclip is owned by Tencent. Anyway, so let's talk about Ilion a little bit. Uh, I dug deep and I found a, an interview on Pocket Gamer that dated from till July 2018 with their CEO, Jonathan Erez. And back then, the company had racked up 370 million downloads for its portfolio, with over 60 million of those coming from its flagship bubble shooter titles. And back then, they also grew to be 100 person strong. Uh, I don't know if all of them are Israel, but, but the company was 100 people strong. And they were talking about the shift uh, in 2018, which pretty much is a shift that, that almost every games company has taken. And that shift is from launching new games to growing existing ones because, yeah it's really hard to launch and, and scale games as we talked in the, uh, in the soft launch uh, predictions. Anyway, their chief marketing officer, Ilya Maladesky, he had a, he had an interesting quote. He was talking about that putting more emphasis on live ops, CRM and product operations and internal research development enhancement. There's a lot to achieve and grow in terms of KPIs. And we need to adjust the organization accordingly to achieve our goals and increase our audience engagement and amusement. So some of the points that he raised were very interesting. There's, you know, I took some tidbits. He was saying that marketing expenses are still very significant. He admitted on that. He talked about the broad, that their broad portfolio enables them to do cross promotion between the games, which then reduces the cost of buying users as it allows faster learning curves on creative. So I think their payback just takes into account uh, the, uh, the K factor in a quite big way. And unlike, um, he also mentioned that unlike other casual companies, most of their user base is organic and not acquired. So this is a, this is a very important notion since they don't have an IP, but they still have tons of organics. And it, he also said that it's a bootstrap company from its founding. So they haven't um, raised any money. And he mentioned at the end of, of the, uh, of the article that further down the road, we're considering merging with small studios because we believe that it is an excellent way to keep growing, to diversify our portfolio, and to collaborate with other successful companies in this street. So big question is, why did Miniclip acquire this company? Now, when you look at their portfolio, they, grow, they grew by launching and growing bubble shooter games and a lot of different bubble shooter games. So it was kind of actually hard to track them right now because uh, the publisher doesn't exist and kind of part of Miniclip and they had so many different publisher IDs. Uh, but basic and, and so different names for the games, but it's like Bubble Shooter, Bubble Shooter 2, Powerpuff Bubble, 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 and, and various publisher names. But it's, it's still, um, it's still a, a weird proposition because Bubble Shooters, it's, it's, not, a very, it's not a very successful um, genre on mobile. And if you look at the in-app purchase revenues for that genre, it's about 20% decline year over year. And, and the big reason why there hasn't been any other bubble shooter games since uh, Bubble Witch Saga and Panda Pop uh, that are probably, I don't know, four or five, six years old, is that the main source of users for new bubble shooter games, if you go to App Annie and you start looking at where the, where the traffic is coming from, so that the, where the bubble shooters are getting traffic is other bubble shooter games. So it's essentially uh, a competition for the same user base that is constantly decreasing. Now, this given this fact, um, I think what makes Ilian surprisingly interesting for a bigger publisher 
like Miniclip and, and others, is that they have been extremely successful in tier three countries. So when I looked at their traffic, I think close to half, uh, at least way over 40% is coming from India. They're also big in Pakistan and Brazil. Um, and, and those are really growing territories. And I think it makes sense for a big publisher with a vast portfolio to invest in a company that is operating in um, a growing region. Uh, everybody's talking about India and, and how and their mobile games growth. So from Miniclip's perspective, I think it makes sense because A, well, Ilya makes casual games and Miniclip is as casual as you can get. Uh, B, uh, they're about organic traffic and, and Miniclip is definitely focused on that organic. Their games are quite simple. Um, and C, it's the cross-promotion. Miniclip is really proud of, of, of their cross-promotion work and they are thinking about portfolio first. They are moving uh, players from their games to another. And and D, it's, it's their UA expertise in tier three. He mentioned, the CMO mentioned that they have uh, pretty sizable investments done in UA. And it looks like they have been quite successful doing UA in tier three countries. So that allows Miniclip to kind of learn from that and, and grow their existing portfolio, which is quite casual in tier three countries. So Eric? I am not a big, I don't understand why this thing's worth a hundred million. I'll be honest. It's just a small publisher of bubble shooters. And I don't know why that's really strategic for anybody, but you know, good for them. So maybe mini clip is growing out, you know, trying to grow more of their casual business or maybe, you know, Tencent thinks that, you know, this casual business is a way of doing UA. I don't know, but I don't see real the value in, in, in the small company. All they really have is one game that's doing really well. So reasonably well. Why is Tencent mentioned in this news? It's kind of weird. Like, it's Miniclip that is buying this. I don't think, you know, Tencent is paying a lot of yeah. attention. I think just everybody forgets that Miniclip is actually owned by Tencent. Yeah, J- JK, you, so completely, it's just you didn't even know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah. When you, I think uh, when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, they are owned by Tencent. <laughs> like, yeah. But who, who's not owned by Tencent? <laughs> Like that should be more important news. A company not owned by Tencent makes an acquisition. Yeah, even Eric is owned by Tencent, really. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a Tencent shell. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised it wasn't play, picked up by Playtika or Jam City or um, Zynga, to be honest. Um, I think feel, it doesn't feel like the synergy between this and, and Miniclip is, is high enough. But yeah, yeah, maybe a couple of quick points from me. One is that Eric, to your point about the hundred million, you know, it's, it, I guess we don't know how much is actually the hundred million versus earnout. So there, there could be that. Also, uh, you know, one of the things about some of these older games is that because of the way that a lot of the app store algorithms worked for organic traffic, and clearly this is the, the, the bubble shooter game is one that throws off, you know, massive amounts of or, organic downloads that, it seems like this was a company and you know a lot of the Israeli companies are generally really good at tech. So it, back in the older days, if you kind of figured out the algorithm, at least on the Google side, you could really game the algorithm to give you a lot of organic traffic. And now with the age of the game and the amount of you know downloads that it's gotten, it's probably just throwing off a ton of organic. So there, there's also that kind of doubt they're doing a lot of UA, but that that's certainly pr- pretty valuable in itself. And I do think that if Miniclip has figured out, I mean, they've been doing cross promotion since very early days. They kind of pioneered the market with Gario and stuff like that. It's really hard to do, but if they figure that out, then that could also be extremely valuable. But moving on, Adam? Yeah, let's move on. Um, So second article, Xbox will not kick off the Series X generation 
uh, with next-gen exclusives. Um, so this is done by Gamasutra, but Gamasutra was actually just covering an article that was in MCV Develop, which was an interview. Uh, the interview was with Matt Booty, uh, Booty, uh, like Pirate Booty, um, head of Xbox Game Studios, says that the Xbox Series X will not launch with any exclusives on next-gen. Um, so Microsoft will be taking a cross-generational approach where Xbox exclusives will still be available across Xbox One and Xbox Series X for the first few years. Um, some quotes from this would be like, we want to make sure that if, if someone invests in Xbox between now and Series X, that they feel like they make a good investment and that we're committed to them with content. Um, and a lot of this was, was drawing parallels or, or what they wanted to make this feel like was parallels to the PC universe where um, the Series X might be new hardware, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're leaving uh, old players behind, or old console players behind. It's not a full console reset. And I think the key around this is around Halo Infinite. Um, it'll actually be launched across Xbox X, Xbox One, and PC all at the same time uh, around the holiday season next year. Um, however, the, the main reason why you'd want to pick up the Xbox X is because developers are actually taking advantage of the unique features of Xbox X which we know is the SSD, uh, increased graphical power, and 4K output, uh, which as we've covered is, is not especially interesting for, for new players, um, so other than maybe the SSD. Unlikely that there will be much pressure from at least Microsoft on third-party publishers to turn out hardware exclusives uh, for the relatively small day one audience of the Xbox X. So Microsoft is saying they are rewriting the rules of a console launch. Yeah, my, my take on this is that it's just clear, absolutely, that PS5 is gonna have a very strong start to the next generation again. This almost feels like Microsoft has accepted that and is aiming to get players on whatever platform they can. But a slow start for uh, Xbox X just means PS5 is gonna create more steam, get more network effect. And I think Microsoft is already exclusive, already struggling with a lack of exclusives. Halo and Hellblade 2 are just not enough uh, for that next generation. Um, but speed of adoption to the Xbox X is going to be even slower due to this, and I think Sony will be getting the advantage. Um, so Microsoft overall from this looks like they're much more focused on building Game Pass and services um, and creating the widest funnel possible for those overselling hardware units. The second half of the article actually goes really deep on how fifth, all 15 of their internal studios are actually free to do whatever they want in terms of business model, like a service-based game or a single player native, because they feel like it's all being supported when they go into the game pass subscription. So for, for myself, like I would absolutely love to meet somebody who is bullish on this strategy. Uh, and really talk to them about the math, like where they think the increase of units is coming from, pulling all these players into the subscription as well as what the LTV of these services are going to be and how little churn they're actually baking into these subscriptions. How much market share do they think they can actually get on PC, especially competing against you know, Epic and of course Steam. And also just thinking about that subscription service, how many Hellblades do they actually need to be launching on a year to year basis to actually reasonably sustain and retain subscribers. Like even just Netflix, right? Like how many Witchers do you have to be launching to make this uh, Netflix continue to run and keep people uh, on that service compared to Disney Plus? Really just like, how do they have so much confidence that they're willing to, you know, give up sales of games like Gears 5, Halo is an exclusive to hardware. 
just to make just just to make Game Pass work, right? What kind of hockey stick graphs are they drawing to make Game Pass work? So yeah, it just feels like more and more Microsoft is leaning towards their services over their hardware and products. And uh, yeah, I really question the math behind this decision. So for me, from a personal perspective, I got to say this is great news for guys like myself. My Xbox One is arriving tomorrow. I just bought one. So that's great to hear. It's going to have a few more years of life. But I think you're like one of five people that buy an Xbox One <laughs> this much, late in yeah. the generation. Exactly, exactly. But uh, that, that's good news for me personally. That, that's all I have to say about that, Eric. I mean, we talked about this on Twig 61, right? I think in general, there's going to be very few platform exclusives this time around. You know, the devices almost have identical architectures. They are just different versions of the same architecture. And it's just basically less challenging to make cross-platform games. And, you know, Microsoft, yeah, obviously they're focused on their subscription stuff and, and they're not going to have exclusives on next gen, but neither is Sony, you know? Like when Last of Us 2, God of War, Next Horizon Zero Dawn, you don't think they're going to do cross-platform games? Of course they are, right? Because there's no reason not to. And I think for the first three years of the cycle, we won't see much from an uh, from an exclusive perspective uh, particularly with games that are like AAA, you know, with budgets of 70 to 100 plus million dollars, they're going to straddle both generations for years to come, in my opinion, particularly third party as well. Now, we may see some smaller, like single A, double A type things from first party, perhaps, even third party if they're really desperate or getting paid. Um, but I, I just don't think that we're going to, this, this generation is not going to be about next gen exclusives the way it has been in the past. That's just kind of, I think the nature of the business that we're in now. So anything more on that? I mean, fundamentally, if you are in, do an install base of 4, 4 million versus install bases of 150 million, like you do the math, right? I mean, that's, that makes sense not to do it. Yeah, but, but you're saying that they will not do any platform exclusives for next gen from Sony? Cause isn't the, um, the, there's the, uh, Samurai game, which is actually uh, next gen exclusive. They've already no, announced that. Which one? The uh, I forget the name of it. Something with a T. No, I don't think. What I don't think. Tsuchihama. Well, that, if if that is, I would consider that single A, right? But hmm. but I, I a lot of times they they kind of make it seem like it's exclusive, but it's not. Like Halo, for instance. I think a lot of people assumed that that was exclusive last E3, but they just confirmed that it certainly is not. I never even thought it was, right? So uh, for Microsoft and then for Sony, obviously Last of Us is coming out re relatively soon, but I, I, maybe people will be disappointed, but I bet Horizon will come out with the same type of thing. So, But, you know, I could be wrong. Like they could get more aggressive on this and, and, and do the playbook from, you know, two generations ago, but... Um, I don't think in this day and age it makes sense. Part of the problem, again, I'm I mean, not to go too deep into this, is that the, infrastructure, the architecture between PS3 and PS4 was completely different. So it was an absolute pain in the ass to create a PS4 game on PS3 because that architecture was terrible, right? And yeah. so they chose exclusives on PS4 because they couldn't do it in, in yeah. the reasonable time frame on PS3, right? And, and particularly with the... With the, with the uh, change in performance this time that's not that is not an issue at all right it should be a seamless relatively seamless obviously nothing is seamless in, in, yeah but but okay so third-party developers will obviously be straddling the generations because they have to right and especially because it's great that architecturally technically that's very feasible but if the specs don't really give any you know, reason why i need to upgrade 
the there's no real exclusives, then this generation is going to be a very, very slow adoption. That's my concern. This is what we talked about. Yeah, I know. I'm okay. just saying like Microsoft is definitely saying like admitting this, but I would say with Sony, they're not, you don't think they're going to throw any exclusives at next gen earlier than, than Microsoft? No. I mean, people will say I'm wrong because they have some like, you know, tchotchke game that, 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 you know, that, that, that fanboys love. But if they, it would have to be like a major franchise, like, you know, Last of Us or uh, God of War or Horizon. Those three in, in particular are the ones that I, I, I would bet dollars to donuts are going to be both cross-generation. Yeah, but I would still assume that many of those games are going to end up trying to push as much of the hardware as possible so that the previous generation just doesn't look as good. So there's something yeah. on those sites showing. It's the same thing that happened with like Zelda and Switch, right? Where you had Wii U versus Switch. Same thing happened with The Last of Us. The fact that it's still available on old generation hardware is, is a concern and yeah. is part of my concern about next-gen adoption, which I've said before. And, and, but at the end of the day, I don't even know if it matters, right? If you buy it on PS4 versus P P PS5, I don't think it really matters for the ecosystem of games. It just matters for Sony selling hardware. And mm -hmm. frankly, if you look at all the, the P&L for Sony, they don't make any money, as everyone knows, on hardware. You know, they make dollars, like revenue, but they don't make any uh, earnings on, yeah. on So it's actually more beneficial for them in some ways to, to continue selling software on both because they just have a bigger install base. It's not just such a big, uh, jarring, you know, issue with their P&L. So. Okay, moving on. Oh, all right. So this one is a little bit ranty and I apologize ahead of time. And I know some people are going to find this a little bit maybe offensive to some degree, but um, this is an article about a former Microsoft exec is PlayStation's new head of global business operations. Now, this seems pretty benign on the surface, right? But Miss Veronica Rogers, who is being hired as global business operations um, as senior vice president, and she's going to report directly into Jim Ryan and has been tasked with, I quote, leading the company's go-to-market organization globally. Okay. So on the surface, this may not seem bad, but have you heard of Veronica Rogers? Is this someone that we know from the industry? Has she been responsible for launching a PS2 or a Wii or a Xbox? Has she ever worked at a gaming company? You know, when I tried to connect her on LinkedIn, we only had one mutual connection and it was a guy from Facebook, you know, and not that I have the, you know, the deepest set of uh, contacts on LinkedIn, but I want you all to do this same experiment. Look up Veronica Rogers from Microsoft and see how many people she knows in the video game space. So she is a basically a huge long-term Microsoft exec and is, is, is responsible for leading, you know, sales teams primarily it looked like from uh, B2B and she doesn't have, one month worth of experience in gaming, which scares the bejesus out of me, right? And I know a lot of people are probably thinking, you know, calm down, it'll be fine. She's super smart and she's super capable. I'm sure she's smarter than you. And yes, I'm sure of that last part, I have no doubt. But this profile of an executive in this type of position could lead to a potentially dangerous situation and a dangerous direction for where Sony goes with this platform. You know, this is like deja vu all over again. Um, it's exactly the same thing that happened to Microsoft during the Xbox One launch, right? They took an executive strategy offer, this guy named Yusuf, who was working at MSN and Bing, you know, 
and Bing of all things, right? To create a launch strategy for Xbox One. And we all know how that turned out. It was a train wreck, right? And so, you know what Yusef is doing now? He's like corporate vice president of modern life and devices. You know, what does that even mean? You know, what kind of title is that, right? Ultimately, he went back to Cortana and Skype and Bing. You know, and I, I still don't understand. Is Bing still around? I don't know anybody using the Bing. Anyway, my concern here is that executives that come in in these levels that don't understand gamers or gaming um, and how to market to this core market that is the fundamental part of this industry, if you don't have context for that market, you just kind of misunderstand the market itself. And you can make up, end up making the same mistakes as Microsoft. And I think some of the same mistakes that Stadia is doing, right, is that you're marketing to the broadest audience possible, but not really reflecting what the gamers really want. So in general, this could mean nothing, right? You know, she's an executive, she's in charge, she's hopefully delegating to those people that really understand this market and, 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 and making the right decisions in terms of how they market their game. You know, so, Sony in some ways is kind of in their lane and they're not really changing that, you know, game, you know, this device for gamers. But if you start hearing like these more broad marketing mantras of, you know, let's make a gaming machine for the, for the masses or, you know, like not, you know, things like that, then, things could go very wrong very quickly. So just a little bit of a concern on that, on, on this type of hire uh, at Sony. So anybody have any thoughts? I was going to pile on here, but I, I, I think we're good. Adam, do you, do you want to pile on or should we no. move no. on to our last? I, I think, I think Eric covered it. <laughs> okay. So wait, our, wait, hold on a minute. I'm not letting you guys off the hook. I mean, am I, <laughs> am I crazy or is this like a concern? No, it, it's, it's a concern. And I do think, you know, historically kind of Microsoft execs going around to gaming companies has not been great. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to pile on them because you're being a total wuss, but <laughs> so this is the same kind of thing with what happened. It's sort of what's happening with Blizzard in general, right? Is that, and I've always, I'm not going to do this rant again, but McKenzie guys and, and, and the, I think the COO down there was for Microsoft and, you know, they came in thinking a certain way about, how to do this business and what this business should be. And they bring their kind of like strategic minds and they're all brilliant people. That's not what I'm saying. And there's, and I want to be clear on this. Like the reason I'm not doing this sort of thing is I'm terrible at it. Right. I'm hate, I cannot deal with politics as you probably can imagine. And they have the ability to like move mountains, you know, within these organizations. And I, and that skill set is just something I do not possess. And I, and I appreciate and respect that. However, they come in here with an idea of what things should be without really understanding what things, how things are. And, and this is my concern is that they're going to screw up Sony. The, these type of hires are going to mess up Sony the way we're seeing it kind of play out at Blizzard. So anyway, I, these are the type of moves that just scare the bejesus out of me in general. Um, so, all right, moving on. Steam. All right. So we're going to wrap up today with a collection of articles about Steam. So three articles about Steam, which I collectively call Steam's shit sandwich. And so let's jump into this. So the first of these is by gamesindustry.biz and is titled Major Slowdown of New Releases on Steam Last Year. And so this article talks about the growth of Steam titles from 2018 to 2019 grew from 8,167 titles to 8,415. So on the face of it, doesn't sound too bad, but this actually represents a pretty major slowdown. So in 2014, Steam grew from 
557 to 1,609 in 2015. And since then, the number of games on Steam has basically increased about 2,000 per year. So definitely a lot lower this past year. And further, the article notes that the number of copies owned fell from 242 million in 2018 to 127 million in 2019. For clarification, what is meant by number of copies owned, quote, refers to total copies of games released this year acquired by users for the lifetime. Includes copies sold, downloaded for free, and given out. So that, unfortunately, sounds like a pretty huge fall. And finally, the article does mention the median price of games also increased about $1. So for this specific article, my quick take on this is that Steam got hurt really badly in 2019. So just using the numbers from the article, you can make reasonable assumptions on median price and multiply to see a pretty profound decrease in overall revenue. So for example, if you assume, let's say, I don't know, $11 median price times 242 million, that's 2.7 billion versus $12 for 2019 times 127 million equals 1.5 billion. So we're, we're talking potentially billions in a decrease. Um, but just so we got this clear. Yeah. The refer total copies of games released this year, so 2019. Yeah. Acquired by users for the lifetime just means that for any game that was released in 2019, how many copies that they were sold. So this is not like, the total revenue of Steam going down from nearly 3 billion to 1.5 billion. This is just saying of the titles that are launched in Steam that launched in 2019, they made up, they, they, yeah, that was sold. They made, you know, roughly half the amount of revenue. Half the units were pushed, right? That half, half the, which we know from the headlines, um, a majority of the biggest title did not make it to Steam this year. Right? Yes because yes. of epics that's right et cetera, right this right. does not like this does not mean that like the free-to-play business on steam or any game that was not launched uh, i see what you're saying yeah right? yeah, yeah. In, in terms of the yeah so units sold i don't know how big the free-to-play business is on steam but yeah i assume steam takes a cut of that right yeah of course but then also like steam steam is a huge um front for csgo and dota so 2 so i would say overall steam's business has not dropped 50 percent. it's just that new games on steam made 50 percent less revenue right in in terms of the right in terms of units sold if that's correct accepting the free-to-play business but we're still talking in terms of potential loss billion potentially yeah yep. and the second theme article is titled simplified chinese is now the dominant language among steam users so this is also gamesindustry.biz article which reported that based on surveys, and not clear exactly how good the surveys are or how complete those are, but simplified Chinese accounts based upon these surveys increased by 14.4% from November to December 2019 to account for 37.9% of Steam accounts. And English actually has fallen by 6.6% to 30.4%. Also, in October 2018, Nico Partners analysis revealed the platform had 30 million users in China. And it turns out that most of the Steam popularity, according to the article, is due to the increase in popularity in China of Dota 2. And, but they also note that Steam currently is not subject to the strict censorship laws that other platforms such as WeGame are subject to. So, 
if you're Chinese and if you want to play some of these anime hentai games, you're going to have to go to Steam and can't get that from Wii Game or any other platform in, in, in China, as far as I know. Wait, so, so basically they're doing it illegally? What are they like? I, I'm not familiar with the specifics, but according to the article, they are not currently subject to this. I'm, but, you know, you, that can't last. Right, China, right. China's going to crack down on that. So that, that's just what, a the, what are they, like VPN in it or something like that and run the servers in somewhere else? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, my understanding is you can actually get access to Steam from China. I, I think maybe the government just hasn't stepped in and cracked uh, their whip yet. Cool. In the final Steam-based article is titled, NetEase takes aim at Tencent with Fever Game Store Launch. And this is by Technode. So... On January 7th, so just a few days ago, NetEase launched its own online digital game store, Fever Games, which currently only has two titles, uh, the FPS game Deep Rock Galactic and open world sandbox game TerraTech. Now these titles are priced actually significantly lower than on Steam and Fever Games publicly announced they will be offering high quality imported games at more competitive prices with better services. The article also discusses a lot of groundwork NetEase has been doing to build up a content library for Fever. So NetEase, kind of big news, which we already covered, but they recently invested in a bunch of gaming companies such as Destiny and Halo maker Bungie and the Detroit Becoming Human maker Quantic Dream. Also in August 2019, NetEase also signed a deal with Sega's Creative Assembly to bring the Total War series to China. And you know, congrats to Team Creative Assembly for that. And I actually am pretty impressed with how many China deals those guys are able to do. So anyway, long story short, we've got those three articles. Now let's, let's tie those together. And so my take on this is that, okay, so we now have, or we, we know that there are a huge number of Chinese users on Steam. They currently have a content advantage due to the censorship thing. But that is certainly not sustainable as an advantage over the other Chinese companies and platforms. Next, Fever is going to come in and underprice games relative to Steam to what we know from the previous article we covered, nearly 40% of their user base and to a market known to be quite price sensitive. So my take is that between Epic coming up from above, taking all the exclusive good shit and Fever and Wii game coming in from <laughs> below, stealing the China audience, Steam is in this middle of essentially a shit sandwich. Now, I think they are in pretty big trouble. And this is, unfortunately, a problem with the Steam guys having been asleep at the wheel for the past five years, right? All of a sudden, things can change, but people and culture change very slowly. So I actually think it's looking pretty grim longer term for them. You guys have a take? I, I will have to agree. I think that's a good analysis of the situation. I, I am not too familiar with what they're doing in China, but it seems not defensible given the restrictions and the rules and regulations out there and, and competitors like Netties in particular coming at them is definitely not a good thing. Um, I will say that the uh, deal with EA is, is pretty good evidence that they are feeling the heat to some degree, at least in the West. And so perhaps... Valve is going to be pushing EA content and subscriptions, which kind of opens up the partnerships with potential partnerships with other publishers as well that may not be all that happy with Epic's performance in the West, right? So because Epic was dishing out and sent, you know, insane amounts of Benjamins, you know, to, uh, to these publishers to get their games exclusive. The reality of it is, as we've said before, is that I don't think they're very, that the publishers have been all that happy with the uh, performance of the game because 
And ultimately, it's not about dollars. <laughs> well, it is, but uh, it's about building a player base. And if they they feel like they're not selling as much, then they know generally the best strategy is going platform agnostic and to generate as many unit sales as possible to build up their user base. So ultimately in the West, I think maybe Steam will start to see a little bit more movement um, from from games to their yeah. services. And I will say that that's a bit of good news for, for Steam is that yeah. anecdotally we've been hearing that the Epic Store has not been the knockout punch that it potentially could have been. And so there does seem to be a little bit of life for them on, on the top, but certainly I think the pressure from the bottom, I just don't think you can beat China at China. So Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's a that's an uphill battle. And the fact that they've actually accomplished so much is kind of remarkable to some degree. You, that's something I would probably never, ever predict, right? But I, I guess... I totally agree with you that they've been kind of asleep at the wheel for a while and, and, but I'm not counting them out yet. I think they're making some good moves to, you know, claw back share. And at the end of the day, in, in my world, like thinking about the big publishers, all this is good news for the big publishers. I don't think there's any negative news really at all. If it's getting more competitive out there from a, on a distribution basis, whether it's retail, um, digital alike. So Competition is definitely good for publishers to optimize uh, their revenue and their their reach. So yeah. all this is good. Yeah, I would say that the thing that could be a knockout punch to everybody, but will never happen, would be if Tencent <laughs> makes it so that you have to get League of Legends from their store. Then <laughs> that would just be like game over. <laughs> but oh, wow. um, anyway. Yeah, why not? Huh. I'm sure Riot wouldn't agree to that, but... Yeah, that yeah. I think that would be massive. That, that 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 would definitely be like game over. Anyway, is there anything else left, or are we pretty much done with uh, Twig sixty five? I think we are done. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. In that case, uh, catch you later, and definitely look forward in the future to the next uh, coverage of soft launch games. Is there is there one in particular that we should start with? Maybe Avatar or Puzzle Combat, or it sounds like those are the two that it seems. That I, actually, maybe maybe Farmville Three. I think Farmville Three Farm is 3? more okay. imminent. Yeah, but maybe Farmville Three. Well, I don't want to focus too much on Zynga, but Farmville Three and Avatar. Let's do those two. Sounds good. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Catch y'all later. Later. Bye. Later.